Gene has just been a blessing, um, I know, to the Wigan family, and uh, that's who connected us, Andrea and Mark, and uh, thank you for the connection, because uh, we are looking for missionaries that are fruitful, and Dean and his uh, ministry has been extremely fruitful, and uh, Dean, I'm going to ask you to come and to share with us from God's Word, and uh, let's give him another hand as he comes, amen? Amen. Beautiful. Okay, thank you so much. The story I told about Helix um, is actually we put together seven different stories of pastors on this DVD, and uh, that's available out in the hallway. It wasn't entirely cheap, but um, we're a ministry, and so we encourage people to give $10. If you've already given something, you can just pick one up, and that's fine. Uh, but it's a blessing. It's about two hours of, again, seven different pastors telling about their ministries and what they do in Malawi specifically. So that's available there. All right, I'm going to use a PowerPoint. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words, so if I use 50 pictures, I don't have to talk as long, right? <laughs> Are we up there? Um, <clears throat> the people talk about three-point sermons and alliteration and things, and I'm not sure about the techniques of all that. I want the Holy Spirit to be the communicator. I want uh, us to hear the voice of our shepherd. Uh, I've been in lots and lots of sermons, and I looked around. And I thought, don't doesn't, don't these guys know they're boring, <laughs> you know? And uh, sometimes we can communicate a very powerful message from our mind, and it's good and it's solid and it reaches a mind. But a message prepared from the life will reach a life. And uh, I don't know where everyone is. I don't know very many of you personally. I've met some people at the men's breakfast and things, but I just uh, want to share kind of three points. This isn't deep theology. This probably, you're not going to hear any revelations you never heard, but there's a place in the body of Christ to exhort one another. And so I'm going to give you three exhortations that come directly from Jesus' teaching. And I'm going to bring some applications and just some things from my own personal life and ministry of, of what they are. This is my family. I married a Russian girl. I didn't think I'd marry a Russian girl. I ran away from most of the Russian girls, but one finally caught me. So <laughs> uh, my dear wife's name is Olga, and God has given us four sons. And one daughter. Uh, my oldest son is Irvin Manasseh O. Kirshner. That's a big name, but his initials are I-M-O-K. <laughs> so we like that. And then we have Harvey and Adriel. And God answered my wife's prayers and sent Lydia. And then we're rounded out right now with Wesley. So they were all supposed to be here. We plan to be here for a week. But she has a ruptured disc and has been unable to sit since September. So we've undergone um, more than our... Uh, expected affliction, but nothing that uh, God has not given us the grace to handle. And sometimes she has emotional ups and downs, like I'm never going to get it better. You know, you think you're, she's only 39 years old and she should be young and riding bicycles and chasing kids. And she can get up some, but that's where she is this week. So I'm by myself with the, with the Wiggins and I miss her. And I'm sorry that you don't get a chance to meet them. They're a lot of fun and there's a lot of spiritual fruit in our family. There really, really is. But uh, I work full-time for a ministry called Gospel Inc. I'm not committed to the ministry. I'm committed to Jesus Christ. Uh, I didn't want to come and live in the United States. I wanted to live in Russia. I wanted to live overseas. But the Lord just told me to be faithful and obedient, and he has opened up doors and countries that I never knew existed. You remember the scripture that says he can do more than you can ask or think? I used to read that verse and say, I don't know, Lord, I think pretty big. And here I was living in Russia, being a missionary in Russia. The Soviet Union had collapsed. And the Lord said, no, I'm about to send you to Malawi. Well, that was more than I had ever asked or thought because I didn't know it existed. 
right? Didn't, never thought about Africa. Didn't, didn't have a burden for Africa. You know, in Russia, they have um, technology, computers, they play chess, they build nuclear bombs. In Africa, they don't have any of that. You know, I can relate to the Russians. I can't relate to the Africans as well. But the Lord has opened my heart and uh, opened my eyes, and I rejoice, and I'm following him and blessing him. Uh, next slide. Matthew 25. This is well known. It's when the Son of Man comes and descends in his glory. And he divides the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Are you familiar with this? We should know this. Uh, if you don't know this, Keith Green did a tremendous rendition of this, word for word out of Scripture. You can get it on YouTube, and I have my children listen to it frequently. It's just very good music, very powerful Scripture. And he divides the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And you know the story. The goats on one side, and he says, Cursed are you. Depart from me. I never knew you. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about knowing Jesus and knowing God and knowing the Holy Spirit, but God talks about him knowing us. I never knew you. And they go away into everlasting fire, prepared for the demons and his angels. Hell was not made for man. But when we rebel and we choose our own way and we defy his lordship and who he is, we go to the place prepared for those who have rebelled against him. But to the sheep, he says, blessed are you, enter into my kingdom. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was, I was in need of shelter and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And it says the sheep will say, Lord, when? Were you hungry and we gave you something to eat? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When were you naked and we clothed you? When were you sick and a stranger and we welcomed you in? When were you in prison? Right? What were you in for, Lord? <laughs> what, 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 when were you sick and we visited you? And the Lord shall say, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And I know there's some eschatological and theological implications to this scripture that not everyone agrees on. But the principle is undoubtedly clear. We have opportunities while we're on earth to do things for people in lesser grade and lesser fashion than we are. And when we do that with a pure heart, we are doing it as unto the Lord. There's a verse in Galatians that says, Do good unto all especially those of the household of faith. We don't exclude people depending on their political position or their religious do good to all, but there is a special love for the bride of Christ, especially those of the household of faith. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now, I'll be real honest here, and I hope not offensive, but when I grew up, I would read about how God had a heart for the poor. And I would read about how he had a heart for the afflicted. But I lived in Maine. And I honestly only knew two families that were poorer than our family. And one was Mark Wigan. <laughs> the other family was an alcoholic. We knew why they didn't have any money. And I would think, well, Lord, I make 35 cents mowing the lawn. And a pack of baseball cards cost 25 cents. I have 10 cents left over. Where am I supposed to give that? My sister, she was poorer than I was. She didn't make any money. 
And I really struggled with this living in my culture because I didn't know poor people. And I didn't think we were poor. We had plenty to eat. We, our grandparents had bought us a car and the people up the road had given us a bicycle and I had plenty of hand-me-down clothes. And for Christmas one year, I even got a digital watch from my grandmother. It wasn't poor in my mind. Folks, I found the poor. I found the poor. And the problem is, and the struggle is, many people here are poor because of bad decisions they've made. But welcome to Adam's race. Haven't we all made bad decisions? That is not always a reason to kick them aside. However, you don't want your giving to foster more sin or more corruption or encourage them in, in wrong decisions. So where do you give people a drink? Or where do you feed them? Or where, how do you clothe them? I found the poor. I found the poor. Mozambique is the poorest country per capita in the world. Malawi is in the top five. Haiti is 90 miles from Miami. We've got plenty of poor people in the world. The catch is, does this really go there? Does it really help? Does it really make a difference? Um, I remember coming to Gospel Link to serve, and I said, Lord, I am not going to go tell a bunch of sad stories and tragic stories and try to pull money out of people. I grew up that hearing missionaries come and begging for money. I thought, well, what are they telling me for? They should go pray. You read the scriptures, it doesn't say go beat people for money. It says come pray to me, cast your need before me, and I, I can deliver you. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 50 says. If I was poor, I wouldn't tell you. So why are these missionaries all coming to beg for money? I said, Lord, I am not going to be a fundraiser. And the Holy Spirit very clearly says you don't have to be. You just go tell people what I'm doing. I have my people out here that, there that want to get involved. So I trust and I hope that I don't come across as a salesman. I believe in what I'm doing. I'm seeing the impact on these countries overseas. And I do, I, I want to spread the gospel. But I tell people over and over, you shouldn't give based on emotion. You should give on conviction from the Holy Spirit and a love for the spread of the gospel. That is, that, because I tell you what, God's not really interested in how much you give. He does not need your money. You know that? Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'll help God out here. Really? <laughs> right? Think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show God how much I love him. I'll give him this much. Really? Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. He doesn't need more treasure in heaven. In fact, we are his treasure. But he says, you lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. When you give to the poor, it's an opportunity for that. Proverbs 19.17 says, he that giveth to the poor... Um, the Lord shall repay. That's a better investment than Merrill Lynch. <laughs> let, me, let, me t let me share with you some of the least of these I've met. Next slide. This is a man named Alexander Isaev. I met him about nine years ago, and I was a little disappointed because I explained to our national director in Ukraine, we're looking for the cream of the crop. We're looking for church planners, missionary-oriented men that are working in there with their own people. And I met Alexander Isaiah. He was very quiet. He was very deliberate. And I knew what the deal was. They're just sharing this man with me because he's paid his dues under communism. He doesn't have a car. He needs some financial help. So I said, well, you know, we trust the recommendation of our national director. And I explained it as best I could to him. But I could tell this guy wasn't real active. So I contacted someone I knew over in the Detroit area who had been with me personally in Russia. And she was willing to support him. And you know what I learned? You don't judge a book by its cover. This guy is dynamite. They are required to write a letter and report to whoever sponsors them, whoever supports them. 
Uh, one in the winter report that he wrote, 90 days, January, February, March, cold, snowy, difficult weather over there. He preached over 65 times at a Bible study, at a Sunday school, at a youth club somewhere. This guy is active. He grew up under communism. His father was arrested in and out of prison. He's waited all his life to do this. He has no money. The money he gets sent to him through Gospel Inc., he uses it. His wife's active with him in the ministry, loves the Lord. Two of the churches that he started are in villages that have never before had a church in the history of the planet. Next slide. See, they have these great advantages, real advantages. If you, if you come to the table, there's a place to sign up for a newsletter, and this brochure is free. It just tells more about how we do accountability and how we work with these national guys. And it, this talks about their citizenship. They don't need a visa. They don't get kicked out. They speak the language. They're used to the conditions. I mean, there is an opportunity to use national people in ways that we didn't have 100 years ago. I believe this is a new and powerful paradigm to spread the gospel and to plant churches in this, in this time and day of age, in this, really this time of harvest. Uh, next slide. Ukraine is, uh, has about 50 million people and uh, lots of little villages. When I would live in Moscow, I'd look at a map and I would think, who's out there reaching these little villages? You know, Moscow had 12 million people. I could have spent the rest of my life sharing with someone new every day on the subway, on the metro. There's plenty to do in one big city. And to be honest, that's where the Americans go. I mean, you look at where Americans go. We go to the cosmopolitan areas. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Moscow has internet. Moscow had running water most of the time. Uh, they had electricity. Who goes out in these little villages where there is no electricity, where there is no cell phone coverage? Cell phone coverage has come to most of Europe, but just who goes out there? If you took Russia and formed it up in a ball, it's the size of the moon. Lots of little villages. You know who goes there? Next slide. It's not the Americans. It is the nationals. Here's another one of our men in uh, Zaporozhye, Zaporozhye, Ukraine. His name is Yevgeny Aksanyenko. He, he's getting gifts right now in this photo out for an orphanage. Next slide. In his district, Zaporozhye, there's over 16,000 children that live in orphanages. How many Americans do you think are there? I mean, we go to Kiev. And again, huge needs, huge needs. But these are the kind of guys, to be honest, I want to support. They're the kind of guys I want to help. Next slide. Exhortation number two. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. I had my children, my boys, they memorized almost the whole chapter of John 4, the whole dialogue between the woman and the well. I love this because Jesus isn't, isn't showing up in Sychar to have a revival. He didn't pass out brochures and have an announcement. He's sitting there waiting for some, his disciples to come back with some food. He's thirsty, and in five minutes he's talking about spiritual things. Now, I understand Jesus had a little advantage because he could knew some things supernaturally about this woman that we don't know about strangers just looking at them. But he had a care and a concern, and he communicated truth to this woman. And he said, listen, you know, there's a lot of tradition, and there's a lot of denominations going on, but the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the last 2,000 years, we go between all truth and no spirit, or all spirit and no truth, right? If you have the truth and no spirit, you dry up. If you have the spirit without truth, you blow up. 
there's a balance. There is a balance, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's God's design. His disciples came back out, and they said, have something to eat. And they said, oh, I, I have meat that you know not of, guys. I mean, we left him fatigued and worn out, but now he's got meat and energy and something that drives him that we don't know what he's talking about. Did you give him something? Did you give him something? No, maybe he's got it in his pockets. Like, no, he doesn't have pockets. They haven't been invented yet. <laughs> what does he mean? And he says, lift up your eyes, guys. Lift up your eyes. They went in there and got their fast food. They didn't talk to anyone about Jesus. And this is the dilemma we have in the church a little bit. We're concerned about dropping numbers, and we're concerned about the influx of humanism and and the drugs and the crime and the sin that we see sweeping through our culture. But we, the salt of the earth and the light of the earth, we go to Walmart and Home Depot, and we don't talk to anyone about Jesus. And I know it's a little hard because we pass people all the day, and they don't really want to talk to us. They want to get their stuff done so they can get home and do their Facebook. They want to get home so they can get home and be on their community. And we're rocking right by them all the time. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not real successful with my fellow Americans. But I will tell you this, there's lots of international people in our community. African, Arab, Nepalese, right? They're here. You don't have to, I'm telling you, you don't have to go overseas to reach people that are from overseas. I shared this at the men's breakfast yesterday at the little Chinese restaurant, little hole in the wall. I took in a Chinese Bible and I gave it to Shao Tsing. Shao Tsing is not going to come to my church. She works seven days a week. She's uncomfortable outside her Asian culture, but she's right from China. She doesn't even speak English very well. I don't know how to reach her, but I believe in the power of God's word. I got her a Chinese Bible and presented it with two hands. I said, this is a gift for you. Thank you for your restaurant. We love coming here. This is a great book. It's my favorite book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Very good. She looked at it. It was Chinese. She could read it. Three months later, we were in there. She said, you are the one who gave me Bible. Thank you. I am reading. How hard is that, guys? They're out there. They're out there. You have to open your eyes. You have to lift up your eyes. Now, here's the catch here. The fields are so white to harvest, we can't even see all the fields. And to be honest, we look around at these flags. You're doing well if you even know which countries these flags are from, let alone what's going on there. I mean, we're small. We're finite. Don't you ever feel small? I think that's one of Satan's deceptions. He wants to make you feel small and insignificant. and like you, You're nobody and you can't do anything. You have got to confront that with the truth. It says, no. I am the righteousness of God. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Not because it's intrinsic in you, by the way, but it's because Jesus Christ is in you, and you are in him, and that makes you valuable. That makes you salt. That makes you light. Lift up your eyes. God doesn't use very many people like Billy Graham to reach crowds. Even Jesus Try to get away from the crowds. We think of that as wonderful and mighty and powerful and glory, glory, gl- glorious, don't we? But I tell you the truth, eternity will reveal the people who discipled one-on-one, the, disciple, the, the ones who reached one, the, the family that reached their kids, that talked to their neighbor. That's glorious. That's the power of the church. I mean, it is, it, you, you want to know how much I believe in this? We look at the mega churches and we look at the mega programs. They're not changing the country. 
You know where the country is being ch- where the country is being changed in the house church in China. That God would use the tiny little house church to change the largest nation on earth, and we have our money and our technology and our power and our mega churches, and we're watching our country slide to Sodom. Is ironic, isn't it? Now I don't want to be too dark. I don't want to be too depressing here because the Holy Spirit is moving. And I know we're losing a culture war in many aspects, but I'm here to tell you there is good news. The church of Jesus Christ is growing. There are more Christians alive on planet Earth today than ever before. It's not American, though. It's Asian. Next slide. What do you know about Vietnam? I mean, to be honest, I don't pray for Vietnam a lot because I've never been there. I don't know people there. But we had a man who was supporting a gospel man through our ministry. He was a missions pastor in Indiana. He went to Vietnam, saw the culture, saw the people, was interviewing people openly about Jesus Christ. They never heard of him, didn't know him. He said, I cannot continue to be a comfortable missions pastor in Indiana. He said, I've got to do something for Vietnam. So he came to work full-time for us, and now he goes over to Vietnam once or twice a year. And beautiful story, again, He can't hold big conferences over there. They're communist. They're communist. They don't want Americans there. They kind of watch him. They kind of follow him. But he goes back every year to the orphanage from whence he adopted his two little girls. That's very unique and unusual. Usually the Americans come, get their girl, and these orphanages never see them again. Never see them again. Only hoping that our little girls got it home. Pete Frank, the guy from Indiana that works with us now, he goes there every year. He has eventually led the orphanage director to Christ, given her a Bible. The last report he gave me, he said, I was talking to him, he said, please pray for my husband. Please pray for us. I am sharing with him. I am sharing him the truth of Bible. He has not received. He has not believed. We need, to, we need to please pray for him that he will also become Christian. How about that? Didn't talk to the president. Didn't get on TV, but led an orphanage director to Christ. That's mission work. Mission work. How many people do you think live in Vietnam? Millions? You're right. How many live in Michigan? Do we know that even? Do they? Two million? Vietnam, again, is a uh, pretty good sized country. It is, it is bigger than Michigan. I think it's two or three Michigans. Small country, but a lot of land. Would you believe me if I told you 50 million people lived in Vietnam? I would not be telling you the truth. Try 83 million people. This is a huge, huge population area. Millions and millions of people. Most of them don't know who Jesus is, even historically. Now that ought to make us all weep, and sometimes it does. And we feel a little burdened, don't we? We feel a little hampered. We can't go there. It's illegal. Lord, break down the chains. Let us open up the doors. How do we get in? Next slide. See this man? He's our national director there. It took Pete two years to find this man. He's been arrested 27 times. That's not a good resume for a pastor in the United States. (laughs) But in Vietnam, he doesn't compromise. Loves the Lord, full of the Spirit of God. We came to him. Again, it took us a lot, a lot of time because we put a lot of trust in these guys. We said if we raise $100, $120 a month 
per preacher. Do you have any men that you know under your jurisdiction that it would help them plant churches and would help them financially? He looked at us and said, I have 300. <laughs> so, no, wait a minute. Let's, we really want men that are active, men that are spreading the gospel, men that are committed to the gospel free time, full time. We're not coming over and say, here's some money. Who will be in the ministry? You have to have been in the ministry two years before you get support through us. Right now, we're over 100. Next slide. This is one of those families. This is uh, not the, This is an ethnic group, a minority group in the bush. Uh, he's been able to afford a suit and a tie, and he's all dressed up. Little guy there doesn't have much for shoes, but uh, next slide. Here's another man out there in the, in the bush of Vietnam. The tall man is our national director. Goes out, sees them, encourages them. Next slide. Here he is preaching at a Vietnamese church. Very colorful, but you see the girls, most of the girls sit on one side, the men sit on another. Next slide. They're getting their first Bibles ever. The uh, Vietnamese government has given this man permission to pass out Bibles. They actually delivered them to him at a government building. And after being arrested 27 times, he now has freedom to pass out the Bible. Answer to prayer. Next slide. Have you ever passed out any, have you ever given anyone their first Bible? That is a thrill. I remember passing Bibles out to Russia and realizing this person has never seen this. The greatest physical treasure we have on earth, I get to give to someone. That is, wor- that is powerful. It's worth going overseas just to have that experience. Next slide. Next slide. Can't reach them all, but the Holy Spirit can with his word, can he? Next slide. In Africa, there is a spiritual hunger. Where I'm working in Malawi, Gospel Inc. is in seven countries, but my particular jurisdiction is Malawi. The average age is 42. The average age is 42. And so people aren't thinking about their 401Ks. They're thinking about eternity. The average African preacher has 140 conversions a year. Now, it does depend. If you're in Dar es Salaam, which is heavily Muslim, you don't get near that. But if you're in Mozambique, where they've had civil war and no infrastructure, no churches, and no development, they keep you up all night. I told that story at the men's breakfast. They wouldn't let me go to bed. I, I didn't finish that, by the way. I got to this town in Mozambique, and they said I'd be there until 2 or 3 in the morning preaching. I said, man, we've driven 300 miles. I can't stay up that long. We're going to be here all day tomorrow. I said, oh, no, they want to hear the word of God. God was so merciful to me, it rained at 1030. And then we all climbed in our tents and went to sleep. But they're up. The next morning, 6.30, waiting for you to come teach them the Bible. You know? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could, if, if they call you up, Pastor, listen, it's 6 o'clock, the church is full. Get down here and teach the Bible. It's happening in Mozambique. Next slide. Here's a dear man. We actually, some people asked me, they said, you know, does this really make a difference? If you support a preacher for $100, I mean, if I got $100 a month, my wife would tell me to get another job, right? And so when my director wasn't around, the very first time I went to Zambia, I would ask these guys, I said, does this make a difference? And I asked several men, but here's one story. When my director was over there, I got next one of these pastors. Now, you've been supported by Gospel Inc. for a couple of years. Does this really help you? I said, he looked at me astonished. Like, what are you talking about? He said, my church is in Lusaka, Zambia. All my life, we have wanted to help the orphans. But we don't have any money. We don't have any money. I mean, I've been there, and the offerings they bring to their pastors are 
grain, uh, sacks of cornmeal, tomatoes, or chicken. That's most of their offerings. Not always. There's some money that is involved. They said, we just don't have money for an orphanage ministry. When Gospel Link found me and began to support me and my family, we can live on that. I live and send my kids to school on the money that Gospel Link sends. We raise, just, we raise $145 a month per preacher. Some of that goes to ministry. Some of that goes to outreach. But uh, probably two-thirds of that they get to use for their living. He says, now all the money that my church takes in with their tithes and offerings goes directly to our orphans. He said, we are supporting 30 orphans, and we found homes for 30 more. And I sat there aghast. I said, you mean that didn't affect one family? It affected the whole church and 60 kids? Darlinson Simonze got uh, sponsorship through Gospel Inc., and he wanted to show me his beautiful house. And it was a three-bedroom house, not a three-bedroom house that you and I would have. But for 10 years, he had lived in a one-bedroom house with all these kids. He was so glad that his wife and he could have their own bedroom. He was just thanking Gospel Inc. and praising Gospel Inc. Of course, we don't really send him the money. We just, we're the liaison between people here, churches here, and churches and pastors over there. Next slide. Here's the kicker. Within the first four years of Darlinson Simonze being supported in Zambia, he went to 25 areas where he had never traveled to before to share the gospel, to preach, to try to plant a church. He had started 10 new churches. Now, again, that sounds incomprehensible. The problem in Africa is not starting churches. Um, our director, Booker Banda, he looked at me and said, I can go to Mozambique and start a church once a week. And when they mean a church, they mean literally they're going to get 80 to 100 people on Sunday that want to come and fellowship and hear the word of God taught to them. He said, I can do that once a week. He said, my problem is I need, I need leaders. I need people who know the word of God. I need people who can give good godly counsel and good godly wisdom and explain what Paul took two years at Ephesus to do. He said, he looked at me and said, I've quit planting churches. He said, I'm devoting all my time to raising up leadership and trying to train people how to live for Christ. The problem in Africa is that Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep. But all the more reason to support guys like this. I mean, you look at that, 1,600 people have come to Christ. How is that possible? Next slide. That is actually how you can support a preacher. That's not where I'm going. Next slide. <laughs> um, next slide. I chased a rabbit trail that my slides don't match with. I will mention this. This is the third one. We're almost done. Jesus very clearly in a parable says, come work for me. Come work for me. We've got plenty of things we can do. Come work for me. You can read this parable when you go home. But basically he goes out and people are sitting around doing nothing. And he says, why do you stand so long idle? And they look at him and said, no man has hired us. I can understand this in the third world country of Africa. Jesus says, come work for me. Next slide. That's a soccer field that we just showed up. Uninvited, unannounced, immediate audience. Next slide. See that guy in the right of the hat? We went out to a school, and uh, Mark Wiggins said, listen, we can't give them Bibles and soccer balls when they're hungry. I said, well, I don't have any money appointed for food he said so he took up a collection about three five hundred dollars wasn't it we bought two pickup loads of food went back out to this school and gave them food and bibles in the name of christ you can come work for me 
and come work for me, Jesus said. Even a cup of cold water given in my name will not have its reward. Now, here's the beauty of this. Mark Wigan was there for two weeks, three weeks. And only in this village, two days, right? Who stayed there? The national guy. We associated with them, the church. Next slide. That's a school. You know, we're concerned about the Muslims taking over northern Africa and parts of the world. There are border grounds. There are, there are, there are borderline states where the Muslims are trying to influence, but there's still freedom of religion. We ought to redouble our efforts to reach them. If anything, they're the, those, those are the boys that are going to go up to Sudan and up to Kenya. Amen? Next slide. This is a school in Zimbabwe. How many schools like this do you have to speak at before you reach 1,600 people? Next slide. That's not a private school. That's not a Christian school. That is a public school. I preached on morality and presenting your body a living sacrifice to Christ. Most of them, they lived in the city. They had heard some kind of resemblance of the gospel, and I went over that, but I, I went over that you must yield yourselves a living sacrifice to him. The problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar, doesn't it? <laughs> But look at that, the fear of God. I meet young people who don't know what to do with their life. Come pick a village. Next slide. Next slide. Of course, they always want to shake your hand and welcome you there. Bring your hand sanitizer. Next slide. I'm about out of time, but we'll, so we'll go through these real quick. I think there's 10 more. This is the specific country. That yeah, you can go to the next one. It's on Lake Malawi. We've been able to buy property. We are trying to develop agriculture and a training school within the country itself that can fund ministries and projects within it. I mean, I don't know how much longer our economy is going to be able to sustain things like this. So we have three or four hundred acres. Next slide, on the lake. This is a man from Lansing that brought his family over for four months, built the house. Next slide, cleared fields. Next slide. Discipled people, next slide. It's his wife. That's not one of our disciples, by the way. <laughs> next slide. There's our disciples. That's their 11-year-old girl. And as much as you've done it, the least of these, lift up your eyes and come work for me. There's plenty to do. I encourage people to support a preacher through our ministry. This church doesn't need to hear that. You have, you have taken on over, over a dozen missionaries in the last six, seven months. I'm encouraged with that. And I tell people this. You don't have to get involved with Gospel Inc., but you better get involved. You are living in harvest days. All of our time is limited. I don't care if it's Ukraine, India, China, Voice of the Martyrs, you know, the Assembly of God ministry. There are lots of ways to get involved. But you are not going to stand before the Lord of the harvest and say, I didn't know. He's going to say, I sent you the Internet. You got Fox News. I told you over and over in John 4 to lift up your eyes. This isn't a plea for my personal ministry. This is a plea for the kingdom of God. There are nations that are ready to be reached, and you can do something. You can do something. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. 
last slide. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are the Lord of the harvest. There's no one like you, and I've tried to exalt you. Uh, on one hand, our, we're torn by the needs of the world, and we're torn by our own needs and the struggles of our own flesh and our own depression and our own financial discouragements and our own broken relationships. But you, Jesus, are the Redeemer. You took people out of the grave. You took people out of the miry pit, and you gave them life, and you gave them renewal, and you gave them ministries out of nothing. Lord, I know and I believe through the power of your Spirit, through the power of your resurrection, that there is no one here that cannot be used to bear fruit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would inspire them. It's not my words. It's not my stories. It is your word. It is your power. It is your story. Inspire them this week with a foreigner in Walmart. Inspire them with a need of their neighbor. Inspire them with a, something they, they get in the email or in Facebook. There are ways to lift up their eyes. Lord Jesus, you call your people to a short, short span. Work while it is day. The night comes when no one will work. Lord, it is daytime here. It is daytime in the world. Thank you for your love for the world. Thank you for your love for the nations. And I want to thank you for giving us the privilege to be your co-laborer. And that is my challenge to you today. If you would pray within your heart, Lord Jesus Christ, I will become a co-laborer for you more than I have been in some facet, whether it's time or money or prayer or research, I will become more of a co-laborer for international spread of the gospel than I have been. That is not a pressure prayer. That is the call of our Savior. The disciples didn't even want to go into Samaria. And they stayed two more days so that people could get to know Jesus. It's not always glorious. It's not always comfortable. It's not always fun. It is sacrificial. But I'd like you to make that commitment to the Lord of the harvest. I will be more of a living sacrifice for international missions. Lord, we pray this and commit this only by your grace and your power. We are weak. We are limited. But you are not. Open up the doors that you desire us to walk through for your glory. Amen.